All right, glad you're with us. A uh, big breaking news day. Uh, I'm just getting a first look at some of the exit polls out of Israel. Well, the last election, they had BB losing. And the election before that, they had BB losing. And it unfortunately, it's just typical that just like the media mob that we have in this country is that you can never get accurate information. It would be a very sad, tragic day if this Churchillian voice of moral clarity, an almost singular voice of moral clarity for years on the world stage were uh, beaten. But I've never seen them. I thought our system at times swinging, hanging, pimpled, dimpled and indented, dented chads was bad. Yeah, it's worse in Israel. They got a parliamentary system that, you know, all these varying groups, um, uh, you know, are fighting to stay on future ballots and they need X percentage of the vote to do that. So what happens is, is the big parties, red, blue, Likud, you know, they end up having to create coalitions to get a, a governing majority and a coalition government. And to do that, I mean, you're cutting deals left, right, sideways, up and down. And but we'll have to wait and see what the news is. Um, I'm not sure whoever gets it is even going to be able to form a government because BB won the last time. And then they said, well, never mind. I mean, it's it's just really it's it's frustrating to me. You know, we talk a lot and I'm thinking about starting a segment on television. The good news, the media mob will never tell you. Because I'm looking at it, and we've been giving you these statistics. Yesterday, we gave you a new one. 650,000 kids in this country have been lifted out of poverty since Donald Trump's been elected. On top of the nearly 7 million Americans that are off of food stamps now since he's been elected. And the 7 million jobs that have been created since he's been elected. And the millions that are out of poverty since he's been elected. And the fact that you know, the president now is is talking about the best employment situation since 1969. And then when you break it down demographically, which all pundits and TV and identity politics people like to do. I mean, it's kind of hard to to make the case, if you will, that Donald Trump is such a horrible person when 86 percent of the new jobs, the greater beneficiaries of his policies have been minorities in America. Lowest unemployment rate, African-Americans, uh, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment. They're the ones that have benefited the, the most. The best labor participation rate in history. Well, that's a dramatic shift from the lowest labor participation rate in the history of the country under Biden-Obama. Well, now we have new statistics again since 1969. We've never had a better employment situation than we have now. Today, we find out, according to census data, that over a million American households have now risen up to the middle class. To be more specific, more than one point two million households moved above 50,000 in annual income between 2016 and 2018. Census Bureau data released just last week that we're just digging into now. And that data is a huge boon to the president whose platform is centered on a strong economy and promises of increased prosperity. Look, on the one issue alone of energy, you know, we're now energy independent for the first time in 75 years. We now produce more energy than any other country on the face of this earth. John Hofmeister will join us later. If you look at just the resources that we are currently aware of, 
We have over 200 plus years of energy, of enough energy to be independent, the lifeblood of our economy for that entire time. And I would assume we might be able to produce windmills that even the Kennedys would allow outside their compound by that point. Well, you know, I'm sure at some point there's going to be other new great energy resources available to us that could be transformative to the human condition because energy equals in many ways wealth. But you think about the president now doing something no other president did, and that's opening up our vast energy reserves, gas, oil, coal. Well, number one, we're helping Americans. You want to raise the standard of living of every American? Well, that's easy because those jobs in the energy sector, they pay well. We saw that in North Dakota where truck drivers are trained to drive trucks and they're paid 80 grand a year. If you're making 40 grand or 45 grand a year and you go to 80 grand as a base salary and then all the overtime you want, well, now you're making 115, 20 grand a year and they even pay for your housing in many of those situations. Well, then you now you, you've now dramatically improved your your standard of living. We, we haven't even begun the process of tapping into the vast resources we have. We literally are a country that is blessed with black gold, Texas tea, the Beverly Hillbillies under our feet. And if we would use that and look at those resources as, yeah, those are the American people's resources in the sense that, you know, we can all benefit and those jobs that'll be created now that that's just economically here at home. We won't need their health care. We'll be able to get our concierge service when Dr. Umber over at Atlas MD in Wichita, Kansas, pulls off what he's going to pull off. I mean, that, that is going to be a transformative moment for the country. Hang on. I'm, I'm asking somebody about the numbers out of Israel. There we go. Um, but it'll be transformative. And these are career jobs with great benefits. And then, okay, well, now we're raising the standard of living of every American. Now, for national security reasons, we don't have to worry about the Straits of Hormuz anymore, 22 miles apart. I mean, it's a narrow passageway where significant portions of the world's energy resources pass through. In terms of strategically for the United States, it's never been less important than right now. Why? Because we're energy independent. Why? Because we're outproducing every other country. That's a benefit because if the Iranians are messing around with the Straits of Hormuz and taking tankers like they've been doing hostage, yeah, it doesn't impact us. That's a good thing. Then we get to choose, pick and choose where our involvement is. Now, it's important also, we, there's nobody but the United States that could probably handle what needs to be done in Iran. And the president, as he said, is locked and loaded but that also goes to the Middle East and importing foreign oil, as we have been. Now, we do need to build more refineries. That's a separate issue. But, you know, there are a lot of countries we've relied on for the lifeblood of our economy and oil. And they've taken full advantage of we, the consumers. And you know, what that means even countries that hate our guts. Well, we're not beholden to them anymore. We don't need to worry about what they think of us or as much about what they think of us anymore. Now, a lot of people are upset about Putin. Well, he is a hostile actor and Russia is a hostile regime. I know how to bring Putin right to his knees and probably create conditions that would likely end his tenure as the leader of Russia. Hannity, how are you going to do that? 
Well, we're going to outproduce him and we're going to figure out cheaper ways to get our oil and gas to our Western European allies so they are not as reliant on the hostile regime of Russia. That would be good for everybody. Just like not relying on countries in the Middle East for our energy. That would be good for America. Now, as it relates to Iran, we have to think beyond ourselves here. And the free flow of oil at market prices impacts world economies. Well, if the world economy starts collapsing because the Iranians are pissed off at Trump because of the sanctions that are working and the 40 percent inflation rate that they're now facing and the unrest that is now beginning to be sown in the streets all over Iran. Well, then that creates an opportunity, too, for regime change. In other words, we don't have to worry about any more nuclear deals or, or dealing with mullahs in Iran that chant death to Israel, death to America, those that would wipe Israel off the map, the U.S. off the map. We don't have to worry about the Iranians anymore. We can move on. That would be good for the world. If the Iranians, they were brought to their knees. It would be good for our Western European allies not to rely on hostile actors and bad regimes for their lifeblood of their economy. Anyway, we got the new reports out. Over a half a million households have risen to middle class under Trump. We now see an article in The Hill today about how Donald Trump is winning the war on dangerous drugs. More specifically, they're involved in the production of opioids and fentanyl. And it's largely been invisible and uh, but yet a lot of those we now know have been are being made in China. And the president, I know, has been publicly reported on as challenged President Xi of China on this particular issue. And, as, you know, in the beginning, the inhumane refusal of Beijing to help. We got a pretty big victory in this war. Hardly any headlines when the Mexican Navy intercepted more than 25 tons of Chinese fentanyl that was destined for the U.S., Days later, law enforcement officers in Virginia, they got 60 pounds of fentanyl shipped from China labs, Chinese labs, enough to kill 14 million Americans. Yeah, so that's got to stop. That's got to be part of a trade deal of a $500 billion trade deficit. They put tariffs on every one of our products that we send over there. Okay, I'm a free trader. I don't want to trade war, but I'm also a believer in fair trade. And the Chinese have taken full advantage of every other American administration. President's also starting to win big on controlling the southern border where 90 percent of heroin crosses into this country. You know, if you break it down demographically, it was a Univision piece. I saw that the Hispanic community has made historic gains during the Trump administration. Ronna McDaniel. Uh, we have Ted Cruz saying Donald Trump has broken the Democratic Party. I think there's some truth to that. They are now a party adrift. They are now a party clinging to the life raft of radicalism. They are now a party that is they, they don't have any any comprehensive plan to help Americans out. They're full of platitudes and they're full of their predictable election year attacks. Racist, sexist, misogynist. Say it with me. Homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic Republicans. Their plan, according to Obama's dirty air and water. They want to kill children. They don't care about old people. They want granny and grandpa to eat dog and cat food. And then either a Newt Gingrich or Paul Ryan or Kevin McCarthy or Donald Trump lookalike will throw granny over the cliff. OK, but that's not what the results are saying. I also like that the president, like last night, he's looking at New Mexico saying, you know what? I want to play for New Mexico. I want the votes in New Mexico. I want the votes in Arizona. I want the votes in Nevada. 
I want the votes in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, Florida. Hey, he wants them all. All the talk about, oh, they could flip Texas red, uh, blue. But if that happens, we're in big trouble. Now, it could happen. That's Democrats would love that to happen. If you're interested in approval ratings, well, the Trump approval rating is now better than Obama at this point in his presidency. He was at the 50 percent mark yesterday on Rasmussen and his daily presidential tracking poll. OK, and uh, for the president, that's good. I always think he polls higher in real life. But that's a big number. And you know, it was an interesting comment. You know, we've heard uh, minority outreach for all these years. Well, it's interesting. A Daily Caller piece, 30 years of GOP minority outreach failed until Trump brought real results, real results. And that's been the that's been the story of the Trump presidency. And that is hopefully what will lead him, propel him to reelection. But I'll tell you this. I'm going to say this often. You can take nothing for granted. This is now a battle for the heart and soul of America. This is about freedom and liberty and constitutional governance and versus the socialist, statist, redistributionist to each according to their need, from each according to their ability mindset, where the state runs everything. No more choices of free health care, open borders. You know, it was funny. You know, I saw this. I think it was Sweet Baby James that first sent it to me. But you know, I was, I was, you know, Twitter and people on Twitter have wicked sense of humors. I mean, they really do. I mean, people, people all over social media are very, very funny. And the things they come up with sometimes just make me laugh. Sort of made me laugh, for example, watching Sean Spicer last night. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? But um, we'll see if he survives his first dance, his first dance off, if you want to call it that. But, you know, if you look back at some of the things that people are saying about this country, there is there are times when there are great ironies in life. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. Um, now, you have all this good, the media, you think the media is ever going to point that out? No, they're, they're not about pointing out truth. I'm watching the fallout of all of this with the phony news media over the New York Times. And, you know, now, now the New York Times reporters are blaming editors for the error in judgment. Oh, it was their job. You're the one that wrote this crap. You're the one that put this crap in your book. You're the one that got this wrong from the get go. Now, but now you want to blame them. I mean, I guess it's a good plan if you can get away with it. But, you know, you see the New York Times, another miss. How many more times can one individual get slandered and smeared in, in one lifetime? They pub it's uncorroborated. The journalists, so-called journalists, the fake news journalists, the extension of all things Democrat, you know, they reported an account from a third party. They claim he witnessed Kavanaugh commit a sexual assault in college, but then they conveniently leave out of the article uh, that the alleged victim doesn't remember any such incident at all. Refused to be interviewed. The third party so-called witness. Yeah, a prominent lawyer who once worked for the Clintons. Uh, this, this is... News supposedly in America today. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. All right, so exit polls, like usual. Um, 
say that BB fell short of a majority. It looks like he's going to have more seats, though, which means he probably would give him. That means he would be given the opportunity again to form a government. Lieberman, uh, you know, you have one guy basically holding an entire country hostage over this. And how many more times does he have to win? Hopefully that is the uh, final result. But you have all these coalition parties and disparate parties. And so what happens is, okay, they align with either the left or the right. And then from there, well, whoever has the most ends up. He really needed 61 in Likud, which is always going to be difficult. Um, You have a very radical left contingent in Israel, like a lot of other places. Um, But we have to wait and see. but we'll keep an eye on it throughout the rest of the day. You know, it's not that um, you look at what's happening in the media here. This is now so wildly out of control that what they're doing is, and, and I've said this before, if Google and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, if they have algorithms that they are using to push a, political party or agenda and we've gone over the the millions of hits per minute and and second on this program that is the single biggest in-kind donation that this country's ever seen and what they have become are a lot of these people propaganda outlets for one point of view now if you take the exceptions of talk radio and the Fox News Channel, and not, and by the way, not everybody at Fox thinks like I do. But, you know, at least I have a place to have a voice. But if you take every other network is abusively corrupt, biased, and an extension of this radical, new, democratic, socialist, extremist party. That's who they are. And now that's what the whole witch hunt and hoax and conspiracy theories and lies were all about. You're never going to get corrections. You're never going to get the real story. I mean, I laughed at the time when the New York Times finally admitted two and a half years later. Yeah, the dossier of Hillary was likely Russian disinformation from the beginning. Now. They bragged and they had their managing editor bragging about how they devoted an entire newsroom to one story and one story only. And Russia, Russia, Russia. And they're proud of their work, but then it became problematic. Yeah, it became a little bit tricky. And the tricky part was it didn't work out the way they wanted it to work out. They were, it, it was, when I say breathless hysteria among the media, every, every new development was about getting Trump. We got him, we got him, we got him, we got him. You know, if you watch Roswell Rachel, I mean, she's still hoping she can get him. Goes through this this ridiculous, you know, Turnberry story last week. And again, she is under the banner of NBC News. She is, you know, she, this woman has pushed more conspiracy theories, more hoaxes, more lies, more propaganda, more inf- misinformation than anybody on air today. She's never held accountable. You never, ever read a negative word about her or her colleagues. I mean, MSDNC, the conspiracy channel, is is basically every second of every minute of every hour of every day hating Trump. Now, there's an audience 
for that. It's, you know, isolated. It's radical. It's extreme. It's socialist. It's, you know, basically they are a fix, if you will, for the drug. And the drug is hating Trump and the psychotic rage towards all things Trump. But I mean, you spend all these years, be it the New York Times or MSDNC or fake news, CNN, it's the same thing with them over there. I mean, you know, we saw the issue that they have been facing lately. I mean, you know, but their foreign news correspondent top, you know, whoever he what was that guy's name last week? Ethan, that was in the news. He was getting in trouble over a fake news, CNN. He got stuff wrong like everybody else. And you have shows that actually make predictions uh, that. Yeah, Shudo. What did Shudo do again? I forgot what he did. I mean, there's so many examples because they have. Remember the show that said the Humpty Dumpty show actually said had a guest saying, "Yeah, you know, President Trump's killed millions more than Mao and Stalin and Hitler combined." I'm like, no, that would be like a hundred million people. What did Shudo do again last week? He was involved in another ridiculous. He used to work for Obama. What did he do? You can tell me. You can put your mic on. It's fine. He's working on it. He's working on what? He's well, working like, at looking up the story. He does multiple things, you know. He does Jeez. multiple things. Anyway, so that Maddow pushes a hoax. U.S. military refueling planes at an airport near Trump's Turnberry Resort in order to bolster their business. Yeah, you ready now? Now you're ready? You're a little late. You're a little slow. It was the uh, spy story about the spy extraction that CNN was reporting. Yeah, that's right. They said it was Trump's fault. But meanwhile, the guy, they first wanted to pull him in 2016 or the year before in 2016 and because of media reports and he said that it was no they wanted to pull him because they didn't feel comfortable with trump and 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 trump's holding on to and keeping uh, close to the vest and secret intelligence that he was learning about that was just a lie just like having a guest on that says yeah trump's killed millions more than mao stalin and hitler and they get away with it it's like Congress, they're never going to hold Omar accountable all about the Benjamins, baby. Or that, you know, uh, Israel's evil and may Allah open the eyes of everybody in the world to see Israel's evil. Or Talib working for or writing for Louis Farrakhan, the radical, virulent, vicious, anti-Semite racist that he is. And that that magazine of his. No problems there. Or AOC making calling concentration camps, you know, what we have known as detention centers. No truth behind that. Nobody's held accountable anymore for any of their lying and their propaganda and their misinformation. But it's worse than that. It's also about slander. You know, there's no apology for Maddow pushing breathlessly the latest hoax and conspiracy. She's only been doing it for three years. Why stop her now? U.S. military refueling planes at an airport near Trump's Turnberry Resort in order to bolster business for the president because they're losing money there. Uh, The president doesn't need the hundred bucks a night for a hotel or whatever it happens to be. Well, the truth is the U.S. Air Force has used that particular airport as a refueling stop hundreds of times before Trump ever became president. Roswell Rachel. The conspiracy channel MSDNC never let a good hoax or conspiracy theory go to waste. That's why I call them the media mob, Tim Foyle hat conspiracy theorists. And this is at the heart of this entire New York Times smear slander of Kavanaugh. 
is that the New York Times has no standards anymore. None whatsoever. And that's why they write, they claim that they got a witness. They, a witness saw Kavanaugh commit a sexual assault in, in college. Let's print that in the New York Times, the paper of record. What do they call the old gray lady? Something like that. I forget. Toilet paper. That's what I Toilet call it. paper. There's the answer. What the Times leaves out of the article is that the alleged victim has no recollection of that incident at all. That that alleged victim refused to be interviewed because that had nothing to say. The third party, the so-called witness, is a prominent lawyer who once worked for the Clintons. In other words, it was a political hit. It doesn't matter as long as it works politically. Now, when they issued their correction, that too late. The damage is done. And Kavanaugh, what is he going to do? Sue the New York Times? He should. Libel laws in this country. Slander law. The standard is too high if you are a public figure. Trust me, I've looked into it. They're too high. So you just have to absorb the lies and accept that's what you get if you choose to work in the public arena. And by the way, I'm, I'm perfectly accepting of all of that. It's fine. I don't even, to be frank, read it anymore. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm not changing who I am for anybody. You know, we were out there on a limb when we were exposing Obama. Out there on a limb when we said, yeah, Trump can win. He can. Everyone laughed. You, you saw these reporters, like a, the, probably the media in Israel, same as the media here. They're giddy. They got a shot. Maybe BB loses. Maybe. Exit polls were wrong the last time. They're wrong almost every time, just like they're wrong almost every time here. They're useless. Exit polls are useless. But the problem is, these are not isolated incidents. This is now three years of failure. Three years of lies, slander, libel, besmirchment, character assassination. These are not isolated incidents. This is now standard fare with the media mob in this country. So-called paper of record is nothing more than a mean-spirited, sloppy, anti-Trump propaganda arm of the Democratic Party like the rest of the media mob. Go back to September 11th last week. The Times was forced to retract the tweet downplaying the role of terrorists on 9-11. Wow. It's kind of hard to conceive how that happened. The day before that, they were forced to take down another tweet praising the communist murdering dictator Mao. Referring to him as the great revolutionary figure. And the Times was also forced to apologize for publishing their blatantly hateful anti-Semitic tweet depicting Prime Minister Netanyahu as Trump's seeing-eye dog. And in a separate incident, an editor at the New York Times forced to apologize for his past anti-Semitic tweets. Then you got, you know, poor Brett Stevens, who works at the New York Times. He had a meltdown, a public meltdown, being called the bedbug that he is on Twitter. And he told on the guy, he called, reported the guy that was bosses and everything. Well, now his nickname is Bedbug Brett Stevens. You know, this is who they are. This is now what they do. This is now in regularity. You know, prominent New York Times reporter claiming our friend Congressman Dan Crenshaw did not support the 9-11 Victims Fund. That was a lie, too. Turns out, didn't take a lot to figure this out. He was actually the co-author, sponsor of that bill. 
Let's not forget the the most most recent blatant hack job by the New York Times. You know, their leaked audio from their executive editor, they, they're admitting. We spent two and a half years on one story, the entire newsroom. What? That, was, that meant two and a half years of perpetuating their lies and conspiracy theories. The hope that Mueller would take down Trump. Didn't work out that way. It's amazing now that we see the two and a half year lie. Now, at least the lies are being exposed more quickly. We don't have to wait two and a half years to get the answer, although we were giving you the answer the whole time. There's nothing that we've reported. Solomon's reported. Carter's reported. Jarrett's reported. Um, Catherine Herridge is reported. Tom Fitton's reported. Jay Sekulow. All these people that exposed all this information. We didn't do this in a vacuum. We actually sourced. You know, I know I'm a talk show host, but part of being a talk show host, I can produce thousands of hours of straight reporting. Maybe it's a war situation, a, a bad hurricane. By the way, Houston's about to get whacked with two feet of water, according to Joe Bastardi. That's scary. Hang in there in Houston. But we got it right. We got it right about the, the rigged investigation into Hillary. Got it right about the dirty dossier. We got it right about premeditated fraud on the FISA court. We got it right on spying on the president, his campaign, his transition, and his presidency. We're also right on the outsourcing of intelligence gathering using our allies. We're right about that, too. We were never wrong. Now, are people going to be held accountable? I don't know, but you can't dispute the facts. We've laid out facts and truth. We've dug deep and we held back stories at times just to make sure we had it locked down completely before we went with the story. But the New York Times, well, it became problematic. Now let's move to racism. Let's accuse Trump and every Republican of being a racist because the Mueller thing didn't work out the way we wanted. Let's talk about Turnberry. Trump is, is diverting planes because he wants business. No, hundreds of other trips beforehand before he was president. Where are the apologies? Where's the corrections? Why do I say a mob? Because it's a mob mindset, a medium mob mentality. And it's like they got their little, you know, they to be in their club, you've got to just out, out radical the next one. The biggest donors for the Democratic candidate, whoever emerges, sleepy, creepy, crazy, Joe 30330, you know, what the president calls Pocahontas. She lied about that her whole life. Imagine if Donald Trump lied about being a minority for the benefit of her, of her own personal career. Republican did that, what would happen? What if, you know, or crazy, the angry socialist Bernie Sanders? One fake story out of after another. One after another. NPR lies about junior Senate testimony. Or the lies about Michael Cohn's fantasy trip to Prague. Or the Guardian's bombshell about Manafort. Three CNN staffers, they did get fired. Their false report about the mooch. New York Times report about Nikki Haley and $57,000 for curtains. It's been nonstop lying to you. Nonstop. Never ending. If James can bring that in, thank you. I'd appreciate it. Nonstop, never ending lying, propaganda, misinformation. One person that's not a public figure that I think is going to win is Nicholas Sandman. That's that he's got the slam dunk libel slander case. 
Well, first of all, Lawrence, there was zero intent to mislead anybody about the details of the incident. That excerpt that we ran in the Times was an adaptation of what's in our book that you just described so aptly. It really focuses on the experience of Deborah Ramirez, uh, as we understand it, after Robin spending quite a bit of time with her. Why the incident uh, she alleged to have occurred with Kavanaugh hit so hard for her. She was feeling like a fish out of water that first year at Yale to begin with for any number of reasons, um, socioeconomic, cultural, and so on. And this incident was deeply traumatizing for her. That was the focus of the piece. We included uh, the additional detail about this other as yet unreported allegation uh, because it seemed germane to the type of thing we were talking about. It was a somewhat similar incident. In, In your draft of the article, did it include those words that have since been added to the article? It did. It did. did. So somewhere in the editing process, those words were Yeah, I mean, I think what happened actually was um, that, you know, we had her name and, and, you know, the Times doesn't usually include the name of the victim. And so I think in this case, the editors felt like maybe it was probably better to remove it. And in removing her name, um, they removed the other reference to the fact that she didn't remember. Uh, Essentially, Leland has said consistently last year and in the reporting of this, that she doesn't recall the incident one way or another. At the time in 2018, she did say to a reporter words to the effect, you know, Dr. Ford is my friend and I believe her. Uh, after that, later in the process and during the FBI investigation uh, last fall, she reflected on it. She had an initial meeting with the FBI at which she said whatever she could recall. She then went back, rested, really thought hard about the events that were being discussed, looked at some of the high school photographs of Brett Kavanaugh that were circulating around and decided she didn't find him to be a familiar face at all. She had dated his very good friend, Mark Judge, who was alleged to be in the room during the alleged Blasey Ford assault. Um, she had dated him briefly, um, so she knew some of those boys, but Kavanaugh's face didn't ring a bell. And she also thought the circumstances around the alleged incident, the fact that Ford had been at a certain country club that day, Um, The fact that it was a relatively small gathering, among other things, didn't ring right to her. So she initiated a second conversation with the FBI and reported all this to them, along with the fact that she had felt pressured to change her story um, by friends of Blasey Ford's and hers from high school. All right. Glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity show, 800-941-SEAN, toll free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. So here we go again. The media, there's a, there is a reason why I call them the mob, because they act like mobsters. They get it wrong. Lying, slander, besmirchment, conspiracy theories, libel, anybody connected to or anybody that voices even support for President Trump. And, and there you got the New York Times yet again. Remember, they... They dedicated an entire newsroom to one story, and then it became problematic. So they've now moved on from Russia, Russia, Russia to now well, we'll, we'll deal with the race issue for 2020, not acknowledging or admitting or correcting the record of how often they've been wrong. You know, for them to come out like two and a half years late and say, you know, that dossier of Hillary Clinton's that she paid for with was likely Russian disinformation from the get-go. That's pretty revealing because the media mob narrative had been that, well, it was Trump-Russia collusion. Well, the only one that used anything Russian to try and influence the election was Hillary Clinton. And that was what the paid-for dossier, the unverified, uncorroborated, political bought-and-paid-for slander of Donald Trump, well, then used as a as the basis for FISA applications to spy on all things Trump campaign transition and presidency. 
So now you have the New York Times rather than put out corrections and saying, oh, we missed the biggest abuse of power corruption scandal in history. Why would they ever do that? Now they just decide to move on to the next conspiracy theory, the next smear or or group of smears and lies. And so they released this article, as we talked about yesterday over the weekend, uh, two so-called journalists for the paper of record. And yeah, the old gray lady that, you know, claiming that there was an individual that witnessed Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh, commit a sexual assault in college. The Times conveniently, though, left out of their article that the alleged victim has no recollection at all of this incident and refused to be interviewed by the New York Times. And the question becomes, well, the Washington Post passed on it. At one point, even the New York Times passed on it. Why did they allow this to get on their pages? And then every presidential candidate falling right in line, repeating, regurgitating the lie. Joining us to discuss this, Carrie Severino is with us, Chief Counsel, Policy Director, Judicial Crisis Network. Molly Hemingway is with us, Senior Editor at the Federalist, Fox News contributor. They both co-authored a book uh, about this very topic, and they went into chapter and verse in the education of Brett Kavanaugh about all of these issues. Good to hear from you both again. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here with you. Do you see libel, slander, a lawsuit potential? Now, the bar is very high for any public figure. You have to get rid of malice. But they didn't do simple fact checking here, Carrie. You're an attorney. You you clerk for Thomas, if I recall. Uh, that's right. Now, the problem with libel in this case is public figures. The standards are currently very low um, for for, you know, the news can get away with talking about public figures a lot. But honestly, I don't think Justice Kavanaugh would want to get into a legal fight uh, with The New York Times, even if he has grounds to do so, simply because of that. What they know is he's basically a sitting duck. Justices don't end up defending themselves, although I can tell you that there's nine of them on the, on the court that think this is a horrible development, the way that this is being used to intimidate to threaten members of the Supreme Court because they all could be victims. And you talked about the amount of time spent on it. Imagine if Molly and I had not gotten an early copy of this book, we'd all still be just just finding out today how egregious the omission of the New York Times was. Well, Molly, your take on all of this, you follow the court closely. I know this is important to you. You guys spent a lot of time researching uh, the smearing and the slandering and and the besmirchment of Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, And I'll be honest, I'm not particularly impressed with his rulings, Carrie. And Molly, frankly, he's not turning out to be the justice we thought he'd be. Molly. Well, I I think it's actually wise to wait several years, maybe three years before you get a handle on how someone. Well, is we're getting a pretty good handle court. on some of these cases. And, and he seems all over the map at this point. I, I think he's actually been fairly consistent with who he was when President Trump nominated him. But to your point about whether people should be held accountable for spreading these lies about this person, uh, there are many ways to hold people accountable. And unfortunately, a lot of people haven't been using the power that they have. You have senators who violated every norm and procedure in the book who have not even been investigated, much less held accountable by Lindsey Graham or the Senate Judiciary Committee. You had criminal referrals sent by Chairman uh, Chuck Grassley to the Justice Department where no action was taken for people making false claims and obstructing a Senate investigation. You have the lawyers who, by Christine Blasey Ford's own testimony, kept information from their client that was very important, such as that the Senate Judiciary Committee was willing to travel to California. You have the media, which were spreading all sorts of lies and disinformation, who not only were not held accountable by their peers, they were frequently given awards and promotions and whatnot. There is so much that needs to be done by people before we even get to the 
libel case because when you don't hold people accountable for trying to destroy someone's reputation through baseless smears, there's no incentive for them to stop doing it in the future. So Carrie, how is it possible, though? How is it at all possible when you look at this case in particular? And again, there's been no correcting of the record as the whole Russia collusion, phony narrative advanced by the Democrats went forward. But, you know, here you have a story. How do you omit the most important fact that the alleged victim has zero recollection of any supposed assault and the guy who made the allegation won't talk about it? Uh, Oh, and they conveniently leave out the fact that he was Bill Clinton's lawyer. That is not something that should make the pages ever of the New York Times. But this now happens regularly, Carrie, in this in this environment of smear, slander, besmirchment. And, And by the way, I've lived for 31 years of my career and I've given up hope. I mean, I can't sue. The standard's too high. I just have to fight back. I have a microphone and I have a camera, so I fight back that way. But, you know, if I took it personally, everything that's said about me that's not true every day is, you know, would be a lawsuit for anybody else. Absolutely. And he he wasn't just any old Clinton lawyer. He was a Clinton lawyer during the Whitewater investigation. And you know who was on the other side working for Ken Starr? It was Brett Kavanaugh. So these two go way back. So to call him simply a respected thought leader in Washington, which is how they tried to introduce him, unfortunately, is characteristic of the one-sided way they they introduced most of the people in their book. You could tell immediately who had the white hats and who had the black hats in wearing it. Um, it, it to, to leave out that key piece obviously turns in a, a ugly story from college into um, something that, that is much more than that. But if they knew that she had, had uh, undercut it, you know, then then you can see, oh, my gosh, this story is practically self-refuting. There's there's no way um, they could have, I guess, pitched the book with it with a blockbuster that was that week. However, they did actually have some interesting information in their in their pages that they got while Molly and I broke the news about Leland Kaiser's um, doubting of Christine Blasey Ford, of how she was being pressured by her friends to change her story. They actually did get some new quotes on the record there. If they really wanted to talk about the new news, they might have focused on that. But of course, that didn't really fit into their own narrative. And in fact, in their own book, they kind of uh, brush away her statements about how she doesn't believe her own very good friend, even though she also is liberal and doesn't want (laughs) to help the cause of Kavanaugh on the court. So I think that's that's unfortunate. You can see in their selective interest in which parts of their story they pitch, how they want this uh, this narrative to play out. Well, I mean, there's no repercussions. It seems like, you know, I declared and I've said many times since 07, the first time I said it is that journalism in America is dead. Molly, am I wrong? We are in very bad straits. It's just you can't even go much of it. That wasn't my question. If we're in bad straits, I think real journalism in terms of the mainstream media is dead. I think all these networks are abusively biased and corrupt. And and now they've gotten to the point where they can be dishonest and not even make a correction. You use the right word, which is corrupt. It's not just bias. It's not just that they lean. There's actually industry wide corruption in how they control stories, what they allow to be published, what they forbid from being published, how they set narratives. And this is the real problem because no Nobody can hold each other accountable because they're all part of this corrupt system. And so what really needs to happen is um, either to admit that, as you say, mainstream journalism is dead in this country or do something drastic. Bring in an outside uh, source that can identify the problems and demand that they clean it up. This is as corrupt as any industry out there, you know, whether you look at the FIFA soccer scandal or, you know, anything else massive. This is a truly the story of our time, the corruption of our mainstream media. All right. Quick break. We'll come back. Carrie Severino, Molly Hemingway on the other side. 
All right, as we continue justice on trial, Carrie Severino, Molly Hemingway are with us. All right, let's look at the double standards. For example, we have the allegations against the Virginia lieutenant governor, very serious rape allegations. I, I never heard any of the I believers in the Kavanaugh case care about that. They cared about violations of law and and influence of outside countries. They would have been more outspoken about Hillary. They care about obstruction. They would be concerned about a rigged investigation, Carrie, but they're not. Yeah, I mean, this is really just another instance of what we talk about when we talk about falling apart in the rule of law. The rule of law means you get the same rules for everyone, both sides, and they're not. I mean, we know we can all recite Brett Kavanaugh's high school yearbook from memory. Can you tell me what's in the Holton Arms yearbook? Uh, no, that's why we wanted to write about that. And they and when you, when Trump comes before the court, he gets one set of rules. Every other president gets another set of rules. That's what people are so fed up with um, in the media, in the judiciary. That's why we need judges who are going to apply the same laws or same rules to interpreting laws, whether they like them or they don't, whether they like the president or they don't like the president. Um, And so that that is so crucial because that's what makes our society function is that we have an even handed playing field for both sides. So losing that is is a real problem. Looking ahead to the future, John Roberts. Now, it was reported last week, Molly likely changed his opinion again, like he did on the health care issue with their ruling last week for political considerations. That really bothers me if if he's factoring in politics rather than the Constitution as the basis for his decisions. Well, and I think that's the way to understand what's going on now with this media feeding frenzy. They don't actually think that they're going to convince Democrats to impeach Brett Kavanaugh, but they do want, the media do want to influence the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, Chief Justice Roberts has seen, has been susceptible to that kind of pressure that's applied by the media. It is, it's actually something we write about in detail in Justice on Trial, how President Trump goes out of his way to pick people for his list who will not be swayed by public pressure of that kind. It's one of the key things they're looking for when they put together that list. And so this is what terrifies people on the left, including the media, that they know that this list of full, is full of people who have shown courage under the face in the face of immense pressure from the media and other leftist powerful people. And that if there's another opening, President Trump is going to nominate another person from his list. And all of these people have already been vetted as fairly strong people on this issue. Well, thank you both for being with us. By the way, last question. Do you think it's uh, Barrett is going to be the next selection of the president? She's certainly a front runner, in my view. I think she does seem to be a front runner. I think there's lots of other great potentials as well. Other great women, other great men on the list. I, I've lost some more before. I think there's some great nominees coming up on the 11th Circuit. Barbara Lagoa, Robert Lux. So, you know, it, it, it's still anybody's game, uh, but she's certainly a front runner. All right. Justice on trial. Uh, thank you, Carrie Severino, Molly Hemingway, Amazon.com, Hannity.com, bookstores everywhere. Thank you both. When we come back, yeah, the Straits of Hormuz have never been the where they are now. They've always been, from a political, geopolitical sense, the pathway towards the lifeblood of every economy, oil and gas, but now that we're energy independent, it is less strategically important to us than ever before. John Hoffmeister, he'll Join us next, former CEO of Shell Oil and founder of Citizens for Affordable Energy. We'll check in with him next. Then our news roundup information overload hour. Quick break, right back. We'll continue. Have you seen evidence proof that Iran was behind the attack? Well, it's looking that way. We'll have some pretty good, uh, uh, we're having some very strong studies done, but it's certainly looking that way at this moment. And uh, we'll let you know. As soon as we find out definitively, we'll let you know. But it does look that way. Do you want war with Iran? Do I want war? I don't want war with anybody. I'm somebody that would like not to have war. We have the strongest military in the world. We've spent 
more than a trillion and a half dollars in the last short period of time on our military. Nobody's even come close. We have the best equipment in the world. We have the best missiles. And as you say, you just bought the Patriot system. There's nothing even close. Uh, but uh, no, I don't want war with anybody, but we're prepared more than anybody. Uh, two and a half years ago, I will tell you, it was not the same thing. And with what we've done, we've totally rebuilt our military in so many different ways, but we've rebuilt it. And uh, there's nobody that has the F-35. We have the best fighter jets, the best rockets, the best missiles, the best equipment. All right. That was the president. Yeah. Pointing out we are more militarily prepared than we were uh, when he first took office. Uh, We now know U.S. officials. They have determined and have told the Saudis that the oil attack was, in fact, staged in Iran. And that intelligence shows that this devastating attack on the uh, Saudi Arabian oil industry was staged there. That assessment, which the U.S. had not made public, came as President Trump raised the prospect that the U.S., the Saudis, uh, probably even I could see the Israelis, the Egyptians or Jordanians joining forces to target Iran. Iran, look, we are in a position, thank goodness, we are the world's largest producer now of energy. We are energy independent for the first time in 75 years. Finally, a president understands that the lifeblood of every economy on the face of this earth today is oil and gas. Now, one day down the road, maybe that'll change. But that, you know, to to artificially create a deadline, 10 years, no more oil, no more gas, that would result in an economic decline and disaster, not only for the United States, but it would reverberate around the world. It would be a worldwide depression, a collapse. So this new Green Deal nonsense and that you think you can artificially set up timelines is ridiculous. Um, Now, the good news for the United States, as the Iranians also taking, you know, one tanker after another hostage and and so on and so forth. Straits of Hormuz are only 22 miles apart. There's only a a two mile narrow passageway for, uh, you know, almost a little under 10 percent of the world supply of oil. Well, now the Saudis production has been reduced in half. But the good news for us, again, we now for the first time in 75 years are energy independent. We're the world's leader. If America really, really wants to raise the standard of living for every American citizen, just look at the 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 opportunities that exist for peace abroad and for economic opportunities for our people here at home, for our fellow citizens. Remember, in the Balkans in in North Dakota, they were training people to be truck drivers. Those truck drivers, after they were trained, they were being paid 80 grand a year. Many of them had their housing paid for while they were working as much overtime as they can handle. And if you're at a 40, 45, 50 thousand dollar a year job and you double your your income immediately and you don't have as many expenses, guess what? Your lifestyle is going to change and change dramatically. And with the energy industry, we're talking about career jobs. We're talking about raising the standard of living. Now you can afford a nice house in a safe neighborhood, buy that favorite truck or car that you've been looking at, take your kids to Disney when they're young and you'll hate every minute. They'll love every minute. And then you could take vacations, go out to eat. Everybody's lifestyle increases dramatically. Now the question is, well, why would Democrats, now that we we don't have to worry geopolitically about Iran or the, the Straits of Hormuz strategically for us have never been less important. But now we have to also consider, well, what's the impact if the Iranians 
who are responding to the president's successful sanctions as they pursue nuclear weapons, because we can't ever allow that to happen. If we do, then it's A squared, B squared, C squared, radical mullahs that believe in convert or die. Yeah, if they ever get nuclear weapons, we're now at risk of a, a modern day Holocaust. And that is not hyperbole. That is reality. We lost 100 million human souls in the last century. Don't think it can't happen in this century. But if that happens or, you know, even the basic fundamental national security concern, a lot of countries that we have imported oil from over the years hate our guts and they have manipulated prices to gouge the American consumers. But anyway, joining us, he knows more about energy than I could ever dream of. John Hoffmeister is with us, former CEO of Shell Oil Company, one of the evil oil companies. And I'm jesting, of course, He's also the founder of Citizens for Affordable Energy. Uh, Mr. Hoffmeister, is there anything that I've just said here that is not true? No, Sean, you've uh, laid it out pretty well. I don't know that I have to say anything. Well, the problem is, you know, th the energy independence now means we don't have to rely on countries that hate us for the lifeblood of our economy. But here's another thing. There's been a lot of talk about Russia, the hostile regime of Russia, Vladimir Putin, the hostile actor on the world stage. Tell me if you're wrong in my analysis, but if we want to bring Russia to its knees and we want Putin's influence in the world to decline. I think one of the best things we could do is dramatically increase the vast resources we have in this country and find a cheaper way to get our gas and our oil to our Western European allies. And then we'd cut out Putin. Uh, and that would be a disaster for the Russian economy because it's all based on energy, is it not? It is. Uh, the, the, re the reality is, some of the worst regimes in the world are propped up by their development of the natural resources, which are essential to the global economy. Whether it's Russia, whether it's Iran, whether it's Venezuela, you know, some of the worst places in the world in terms of human rights, freedoms for individuals, democratic processes uh, and structures. You know, these are awful places if you believe in democracy. And, and the consequence is that they can control their part of the world and beyond because of the grip that they have on the natural resources. Now, the U.S. still has one vulnerability, Sean, when it comes to energy. And, and while we are energy independent in terms of the total molecules we produce, gas and oil and coal and nuclear and, and, and so on, our refining system still depends upon imported oil because many of those refineries were built around the type of oil they're receiving, whether it's, uh, you know, Saudi oil, Nigerian oil, et cetera. When's the last and, and time so, we built a refinery in this country? Uh, we've expanded a few in the last decade, but we haven't built a new refinery in more than 40 years. I think it's time, don't you? Well, and here's my suggestion. Let's build processing plants, call them refineries, if you will, to turn natural gas into liquid fuels like ethanol and methanol, increase the number of flex fuel vehicles we have in this country, we would not have to import a drop of oil from anywhere in the world. Our natural gas would carry us if, let's say, 20% of cars in this country uh, were using ethanol or methanol instead of oil. And we can do that. And we shouldn't miss this opportunity to make that point loudly heard by everyone who's in a public policy position. Well, let me We're ask you this, see because I want to I want to hone in on this. So years ago, when I had no money 
And this was in the early 80s, uh, John, that I, you know, I didn't have money. I bought a $200 work van for my contracting company. It was a former Providence Gas Company van. It had, a, you know, a lot of body damage, which is one of the reasons I got it so cheap. It was the best bargain I ever made on a car. But it was previously run by natural gas. And then they converted it back before it was sold and got into my hands eventually back into uh, a gasoline engine. My question is, you're saying our cars can be run on natural gas. How? How does that work? There's two ways. One, you could build a, a new car to only drive on compressed natural gas. Detroit will do that. You can order a natural gas vehicle. And it's like we have buses. We have uh, garbage trucks. You can also have cars running on compressed natural gas, which is a gaseous fuel. It's not liquid. The second alternative is flex fuel cars are designed to take up to 85% alcohol fuel, which is ethanol or methanol. We only make ethanol today basically from corn. And so we're limited in the amount of ethanol we can produce. If we were to start converting natural gas from the gaseous state to the liquid state, it turns into an alcohol, which works just fine in internal combustion engines that are designed to take alcohol, and that's the flex fuel vehicle. A lot of SUVs, a lot of bigger pickup trucks, they are all SUV, I mean, they are all flex fuel vehicles, which means they don't have to run on gasoline. They can run on primarily ethanol. And, and, and we could take all the natural gas that we have and still have more and get rid of the 7 million barrels a day of imported oil that we bring in every day to fit our refineries. And so it would completely take away any concern by any American, any president, any governor, any city mayor about the price of gasoline, because it has nothing to do with the rest of the world. We're, we're completely isolated from worrying about what's going on with OPEC or the Middle East Agreed, but or, or Russia. But in a way, we're always going to be involved because we are the United States, right? So That's in other true. words, if if Iran wants to disrupt the free flow of oil at market prices, that would impact our friends, our allies and the world economy. So we can't allow them to get away with that, can we? No, we can't. But we don't have to have our consumers in this country, our citizens, pay a dime more for a gallon of fuel uh, because we will be making it all domestically. Having said that, I agree. The, the, the global price of oil and the stability of the world relative to oil supply, as long as the global economy, which it has been for the last 100 years, as long as we continue to rely upon fuel like gasoline or like diesel or like aviation fuel or heating oil, or all the plastics that we use in our lives, which are made from petrochemicals, which comes from oil. Yes, we need to be concerned about the free flow of energy through whatever channels it comes. And, and the, the, the piracy that we're seeing out of Iran, I mean, let's face it, Iran did what they did this past weekend for maybe two or three reasons. One, they want to see a higher price of oil because they're dying on the vine without a high-priced oil. Number two, they want to neuter the, um, the American sanctions on Iranian oil. And if there's a scarcity of oil, they believe that some countries will buy their oil, take their chances with the U.S. sanctions. And, and, and so they will basically be back to three million barrels a day instead of one million barrels a day. And third, 
I say this as a as a an opinion. I have no inside information. I think the Iranian people have had just about enough of the current regime, and there's no better way for the current regime to ensure their future than playing a national security card. I think they want to be attacked. I think they want a military response of some sort so they can say to their own people, see, you need us in charge and and make them forget about their economic distress and their joblessness and the low quality of life that they have because their nation's under attack. Well, the smartest thing I think the U.S. and, and Saudi Arabia could do is don't attack them, subvert them. More economic pressure, the use of cyber technology. Well, maybe make maybe our weak lives more difficult. Maybe our weak appeasing allies could maybe jump on board and help us. But you got Macron and Merkel and, and all these other people, you know, that were stupid enough to dump 150 billion in cash and other currencies and say, please, pretty please don't make nuclear weapons, which is never going to work. Let me ask you a last question. Have you ever spoken with President Trump and and laid out your vision for him? No, not yet, Sean. And okay. we've been trying. Uh, we're still working on it. Uh, we've moved up through a variety of levels in the White House and also the Energy Department and the EPA. We're going to keep working on this, Sean. We're not going to give up. Well, who's the head of energy now? Is it still Rick Perry? Where is he? Uh, yeah, Rick Perry. Rick well, Perry, Perry gets it. about natural gas. Rick Perry is one smart cookie when it comes to energy and energy independence, as evidenced by, look where we look where we are now, the number one worldwide producer. And we've only, last, last question, how many years supplies of natural gas and oil do we have? And I only have about 15 seconds. At least 200, Sean. Okay. By then, we, maybe we can perfect the windmills outside of the Kennedy compound. Or convert the nuclear system to a different kind of nuclear and use nuclear power. John Hoffmeister, former CEO Shell, founder, Citizens for Affordable Energy. Thank you, sir. We'll continue. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. President Obama reportedly told Joe Biden directly, quote, you don't have to do this, Joe. You really don't. That is not a joke. That is a natural fact. I think Biden looked unsteady at many points. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. He's not the most polished speaker anymore. The president thing, the, uh, my friend from Vermont thinks that. Watching his long winding answers that don't really make sense in recent debates has also raised the question as to whether that has gotten worse and whether he is up for this. The fact is that the bills that the president, that excuse me, the future president here. There's a lot of people who are concerned about uh, Joe Biden's ability to carry the ball all the way across the end line without fumbling. Go to Joe 30330. He looked kind of unsteady and almost deer in the headlights. So what are we doing? What's going on right now? He's not that good at this. I mean, he's clearly not that strong a candidate thinking on his feet. Anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. I think there are some concerns and they've been men, they've been expressed by Democrats themselves. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Over whether Joe Biden is equipped to withstand a very grueling campaign. We choose truth over facts. Joe Biden was really shaky, both because he was stumbling through his answers. I'm the vice president of the United States. And also because the substance of those answers hasn't really gotten better. Those details are irrelevant. I think we're going to see growing questions, wondering if he has the mental and physical stamina to get through this campaign. I love this place. I love, look, what's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. 
Obama warned Biden's aides to make sure Biden didn't embarrass himself. Imagine what would happen if, God forbid, Barack Obama had been assassinated. It's a real conversation that is happening among Democrats. Has he lost a step? Uh, is he is he too shaky? <laughs> I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. There are definitely moments where you listen to Joe Biden and you just wonder. All right. Glad you're with us. News Roundup Information Overload Hour. That put out by the RNC. This is only they're only touching the surface here. I mean, we played more of uh, sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe. 30330 than I think anybody. Here's what this election is coming down to. Now on top of record low unemployment for African-Americans, record low unemployment for Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment. Now the best employment situation we have had in this country in over 50 years, 1969, a long time ago, the Mets won the World Series. Let's put it that way. Then you look at, oh, we told you yesterday that 650,000 kids have been raised out of poverty, millions more are out of poverty. We're now moving on to what nearly 7 million Americans off of food stamps. We now have almost 7 million jobs that have been created. We have new numbers out today. Over a million households in this country have risen to the middle class under Trump, according to new census data we have. We see that the president's winning the war on these drugs from both the southern border, the 90% of heroin that crosses that border, dangerous drugs from China as well. And the president similarly is starting to win big on controlling the southern border. Many of you doubted his shift in strategy when he said, no, I'm going to declare emergency uh, declaration here. And now he's reallocated the monies needed to build the four to five hundred miles of fence he's been fighting for since the day he became president. Now that's becoming a reality. We now see the Hispanic community has made historic gains during the Trump administration. And I read this on Univision.com that, you know, look at look at, for example, the president in just the Hispanic community alone. Millions of Hispanic owned businesses in America account for seven hundred billion dollars in our economy every year. But record low unemployment is record low unemployment. The policies are working. Ted Cruz, I thought, had a pretty good line saying Donald Trump has broken the Democratic Party. Uh, If you look at all the attack, the president's a misogynist, a white supremacist. Well, He's doing more. Eighty six percent of the beneficiaries of the president's tax cuts and his deregulation have been minority Americans. And the approval rating of the president now tracks better than Obama at the same point in his presidency. In spite of this is all the news that the media mob will never tell you about. And now we're getting real results. There was a so- story in the Daily Caller I saw. Minority outreach. We've heard that, what, for decades in this country. But then they go into in the article, a deep dive into, yeah, minority outreach failed until Trump brought real results. Real results matter in real people's lives, real community, our friends, our family, our fellow Americans. And so that's where we now find ourselves. And that now we get to compare. Well, what are the what do the Democrats want to do? OK, well, the cost of Medicare for all without any private insurance option. OK, thirty six to, you know, 50 trillion dollars. You know, if it's 36 trillion, that's two hundred and sixty thousand dollars per household in the United States and the Green New Deal. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a whopping. Oh, let's see. Ninety four trillion 
dollars, according to estimates. Well, that'll cost every household. It's going to be another 65 grand a year. Uh, we can't afford it. And then, of course, we'll have to retrofit every house. And that means we'll give up our cars. And that means, oh, yeah, no more oil and gas. But, you know, pre-K is free. K is free. K through 12 is free. College is free. Guaranteed job, vacation, health care, guaranteed healthy food, guaranteed retirement. And then we'll get rid of cows and planes. Haley McEnany is back with us, and she's the national press secretary for Trump 2020. Jeff Lord, author of Swamp Wars, Donald Trump, the new American populism against the old order. Jeff, you and I need to congratulate Kaylee McEnany because I saw on Twitter that Kaylee McEnany uh, is expecting her and her wonderful husband, a, a brand new baby girl uh, soon. <laughs> Congratulations on the great news. Thank you that so much, excellent. Don. That, that is excellent. Uh, when's the baby due? Thanks so much, Thanksgiving. We're so excited. And she will be a MAGA baby all the way. Uh, the president congratulated me last night, and I told him, you know, she's here to support you. All right, so we got, yeah. th- this is what it's now come down to, Kaylee. It's a choice election. This is a tipping point election. Use any cliche you want. And then are we better off than we were four years ago? I think that answers itself. Yeah, that's right. You know, this is a tipping point election. You're right, because we have never heard from a party, a sitting modern political party, uh, the word socialism uttered the way we hear it today by the Democrat Party with 60 percent of Democrat voters saying they support socialism. I mean, you just listed off the huge strides President Trump has made in the minority community. We learned 4.5 million of the 6 million jobs created have gone to minorities. Historic access to the American dream up against uh, a party that wants to change the economic system entirely. It's disgusting. It's why everyone must get out there and vote. And Jeff Lord, I mean, you kind of lay this out in Swamp Wars, but I mean, the bottom line is we th- these policies of the president are working and conservatism, something you and I have believed in for many, many years, is working. And every time it's tried, it works. So the results are predictable, just like Obama's radicalism. The results of that were predictable. 13 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million or 10 million more in poverty. I mean, the lowest labor participation rate, his policies failed. The media never reported it, but that's the mob doing what they do. And that's echoing all things democratic, radical socialist. That's exactly right. And the thing that I want to see, for instance, they use the state of Pennsylvania. This is going to be the key to the election. And I think it could be. So they want to come in here. And I've checked on this. We have almost 8,000 fracking wells in Pennsylvania that collectively employ thousands of people. First item on the Democrats' agenda, ban fracking. Next, they want to get rid of cows. I just love them. To I mean, Pennsylvania is a seriously big agricultural state. I would just love to see them go tell the dairy farmers of Lancaster County that we're going to put you out of business. And the third thing they want to do, they want to confiscate guns. Pennsylvania is a state that historically has had a strong support uh, for the well, how are people in Pennsylvania reacting to Pat Toomey working with Joe Manchin for new gun laws? Yeah, I do think that's going to be a bit of a problem for Pat. I, I really do. Um, when I first when I was a kid and first moved to Pennsylvania, the Senate election that year in 1968 was uh, Congressman Richard Swiker versus uh, the incumbent Democratic senator, who's a uh, Joe Clark, who was a former mayor of Philadelphia. And Joe Clark was very big on gun control. He lost his reelection. Lesson one for me politically. Don't go there. You know, I think the, the question now is, OK, of all the Democratic 
Democrats now running for office. I thought it was conventional wisdom that Joe Biden runs away with this thing. Now, a new poll out today has him with a pretty healthy lead and margin. I did not think he was too impressive the other night in the debate last week. Uh, So the issue, Kaylee, is does he is he able to squeak this out? Because his campaign team is saying, well, he doesn't really need to win Iowa. He doesn't need to win New Hampshire. And I'm like, well, if he loses Iowa and New Hampshire, um, he might be in a lot more trouble than he knows. Yeah, they're managing expectations. They know he's in hot water. They know he's in trouble. Uh, you played that clip at the top of the show uh, of all of Joe Biden's gaffes um, that our campaign manager put out this morning. And, you know, the, you have the socialists catching up to him. You have Elizabeth Warren on his heels and Bernie Sanders on his heels. And, and I could tell you, their bases are energized. They show up. They will be voting and they don't want Joe. Uh, Joe knows that, that this is the end of the road for him. And perhaps Obama was right. He should have never run in the first place. Well, the question is who do you think gets the nomination then do you think it's still joe jeff lord no i i'm beginning to lean towards elizabeth warren you know and the, and the thing with joe is just imagine if he were president and acting this way i mean that would be a seriously terrifying situation uh i can't imagine what he would be doing and saying on a debate stage with donald trump i i just think there are an increasing number of democrats who are terrified of this prospect as well they should be you know i look at promises made and, and promises kept i mean we saw a lot of show votes i'm not particularly a big Republican fan, uh, although I love the Freedom Caucus guys. They they stand out and apart. And there are a couple of senators that I do like, but not all of them. And I will tell you that, you know, their failure to have a plan ready seven years after Obamacare, after all the show votes and then the seven senators that had voted for a clean repeal bill in 2015, but wouldn't do the same thing when it mattered in 2017 bothers me a lot. But then I compare all of those swamp creatures to Trump. Trump said tax cuts. All right. We have the biggest tax cuts in history. He said regulation. We've never seen anything like this in our life in terms of creating an environment that is healthy for business to once again open shops and manufacturing centers and factories in America. Then I look at originalist justices. Then I look at the president's promise to build the border wall. He's been at war for two and a half years. He won the emergency declaration fight. Now he's got the monies to build it. And, they're, you know, the plans are in one year from now, we're going to have four to five hundred miles of wall, new wall built. And then I look again on justices, trade deals with Canada, Mexico, Japan and our European allies, uh, Kaylee. And now the president fighting, obviously, with the Chinese to try and get a freer, fairer deal with them. I suspect with their economy at a 27 year low, he's probably in a decent bargaining position. And then the issues of defense. I don't see him giving Kim Jong Un or the Iranian mullahs or anybody else any bribes like his predecessors, uh, more specifically, Clinton and Obama. Yeah, you're exactly right. And all of those things taken in totality is mobilizing new voters in support of the president, particularly you just mentioned the China tariffs. And, you know, what we're seeing, Sean, is that that issue in particular is motivating Latino voters to come to the president. Seventy uh, percent of our El Paso registrants were Latino last night. Forty percent of those who registered were Latino. And I can tell you this. Uh, this president is going to get far and above 29% in the Hispanic community. And you're right, uh, as you emphasized last week, turnout's important. Uh, we can't overestimate that enough. We've got to fight ahead. Uh, but but we've got to mobilize these voters in support of these successes. And, and it's happening each and every day. Quick break more with Kaylee McEnany and Jeff Lord on the other side as we continue. All right, as we continue, Kaylee McEnany uh, is the national press secretary, Trump 2020, our buddy Jeff Lord author of Swamp Wars. What is Trump 2020 doing and the Republican Party doing? Because everything comes down to Election Day is, you know, we're sitting here on pins and needles, hoping Prime Minister Netanyahu wins again. 
I mean, they have the, I thought we had a screwed up system here, but you're waiting again. <laughs> I'd hate to lose a the Churchillian figure that he is with moral clarity on the world stage at this important moment in history. But we're waiting those results. So the question now is, you know, what is being done to get the vote out in Minnesota, in Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Florida, Ohio, and I'd even look at places like New Hampshire and Nevada and New Mexico and Arizona, Kaylee. Yeah, lots being done. I was just at an event in New Mexico uh, where our campaign announced we're not just going to have 700,000 volunteers train this cycle. We're going to have 2 million. 700,000 got the job done. We're going to have 2 million trained volunteers in states like New Hampshire that we lost narrowly by 2,700 votes in New Mexico, uh, where the president is on the heels of the Democrats. 2 million trained volunteers, and there is a 15% increase, Sean, when you have a trained volunteer leading in a neighborhood in turnout, a 15% increase in turnout. So it works. We're starting now. Joe Biden's just trying to get his facts right. But I can tell you this campaign, we've already got the wheels in motion. All right. Who's who's going to be? Last question. Exit question. Who is going predictions? Who's going to be their nominee? Jeff and then Kaylee. I'll go with Warren. As of today, I'm with you, but I'm I'm leaving my choices open. Uh, Kaylee. (laughs) I I say Elizabeth Warren. I still wouldn't underestimate Bernie Sanders, though. He's got a lot of power. Either one of those. Okay. Thank you both. Congrats on the baby. That's great news. We'll be watching around Thanksgiving for the big announcement. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of this extravaganza, you know, we do have some other news that I wanted to uh, throw out there. Then we'll get to the calls here. I mean, you just you get to the point in life where you just can't make some of this stuff up. I live in New York. I got a great call yesterday. Why don't you get the hell out of there? And I'm like, well, I'm with you. I want to leave. Texas, Florida, either one, Tennessee. I love Nashville, Music City, USA, the Caroline. I don't care where I live because as my uh, financial guy, advisor, Hensler, tells me all the time, uh, don't die in New York no matter what you do. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working on that. I'm going to try not to die in New York because then you pay 16 percent death tax on top of the 40 percent death tax nationally. So in other words, you paid all your taxes. And if you're dumb enough to save some money at the end and maybe you want to give it to your kids, maybe you want to create a trust for your grandchildren. Your great grandchildren, whatever. Maybe you want to donate it to charity, whatever. You know what? They want their piece of the pie. You have gold in your teeth. I guess they'll pull it out to pay the tax bill when you're dead. But you wonder how are these things possible? Now, the New York City Department of Education. Remember, they had meatless Mondays, and Comrade de Blasio actually said, tweeted out, Well, I know it's a great success because the kids love it and Sean Hannity hates it. I'm like, well, let's put I I challenged him. I said, let's have a vote when I interviewed him. I said, all right, we'll tell you what we'll do. You give him your menu. I pick McDonald Mondays. What do we pick for Tuesday? Taco Tuesdays. Uh, Taco Bell is awesome. I don't get anything on it. Just the meat and the taco. Perfect. So Taco Tuesdays. What do we call Wendy Wednesdays? What do we call Thursday? Um, like we can't call it Thirsty Thursdays. <laughs> I don't think that'll work. What's Thursday? We got to pick up uh, maybe we'll call it Pizza Friday or maybe Fish Friday. Fried fish, that is. And maybe Pizza Thursdays or something. Kids would love it. Now, I said, well, but will you we'll let the kids vote on your menu or my menu? Let's see which one wins. That wouldn't be a fair vote. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wonder why. Nobody wants the crap that you're putting in there. You know, the, the tofu or whatever else you're putting in them. Avocados. I know a lot of people like avocados. They're fine. New York City Department of Education is proposing eliminating chocolate milk from school menus. They want to replace the beloved drink with options that contain less sugar. 
They probably want that because they they want the kids falling asleep because then they're not going to become a problem for the teachers. Anyway, the department wants to replace the beloved drink with these options. Uh, anyway, parents, experts say that it is not a necessary change. Well, why do they want to do that? Why would they ever want to touch that? Saturday Night Live uh, had recently hired a new cast member, Shane Gillis, and videos circulated of the comedian using an Asian slur, making homophobic jokes during an episode of his podcast. Uh, so he's out. We have Kamala Harris saying she supports a mandatory buyback of guns. Oh, boy. Here we go. Michael Moore says he doubts Elizabeth Warren really considers herself a capitalist. And uh, the Women's March finally, you know, the woman that supports, uh, let's see, Sharia Linda Sarsour. Anyway, they finally cut ties with this uh, radical, virulent anti-Semite, in my view. And uh, remember her and Tamika Mallory and others, they will transition off the Women's March board onto other projects focused on advocacy. Nice way of saying, get out. We we can't take all the heat that you're bringing with you. But, you know, anyway, and then on on. uh, Oh, I love this story. You're going to love this. So over there on conspiracy television, Roswell, Rachel Maddow's network, MSDNC. They had a climate change activist on Monday saying it's a privilege to not eat meat in order to save the planet. Apparently discussing a new book. We are the weather. Saving the planet begins at breakfast. Well, I mean, they've already said they want to get rid of cows. You can't be eating hamburgers for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I'm thinking, I don't know many people that eat hamburgers for breakfast, lunch and dinner. They eat it maybe once a day or every other day or every couple of days or whatever. But anyway, uh, during the uh, interview, apparently the uh, MSDNC conspiracy host talked about individual choices of government level and institutional level changes as to how we eat when he was talking about sacrifices. Like, okay, And he said, uh, anyway, people took issue with all of this. He said, uh, acting on one's values can feel really, really, really good. Then he goes on to say there's a good model for this in World War II and the home front efforts that regular Americans made, regardless of their political leanings and socioeconomic backgrounds, driving at 35 miles per hour. We had 94 percent income tax, uh, the highest rate, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, this is what they want to do. They want to control every aspect of your life. That's what they want to do. And New York City public school students now, 1.1 million students can skip school for a climate strike protest. Oh, I'm sure that's what they're going to skip school for. Um, MSDNC, stopping climate change is like fighting World War II. I mean, you just you can't make this insanity up. This is what we get from them every single day. House Democrats punt on upcoming border wall fight. They largely agreed to punt an ugly border fight on the wall with Trump until November, likely averting a shutdown this month. House expected to pass a stopgap funding bill this week that maintains the status quo for Trump border policies, making marking a temporary concession. And we've got the squad now literally talking about filing Kavanaugh impeachment charges. Even Dick Durbin said that's a really dumb, bad idea. But let's see what they do. That doesn't mean they won't. By the way, according to Congresswoman Omar, God expects you to vote in a certain way. I don't know what it is, but she went on to explain this. And during a forum last week, God expects people to vote a certain way. He does not expect you to vote for people who will ultimately hurt you and other humans around you. I'm glad she has a direct line right to God. 
And Congresswoman Omar blasting Trump's threat to Iran. Administration that lies about weather maps can't be trusted to take us to war. She's now advocating for the safety and security of the Iranian mullahs. I don't know. And calling on Israeli voters to dump Netanyahu, which we don't, which we hope and pray does not happen when the vote is finally tallied. Won't know probably till late tonight, tomorrow. Anyway, Omar saying that even the existence of Israel's prime minister is problematic. Uh huh. Here we go. All about the Benjamins and may the world open their eyes to Israel being evil. May Allah open their eyes. As he, she said before, he says that um, Israel's existence and the existence of a prime minister is problematic. Pretty nuts. And Omar blasting Trump threats to Iran uh, again and again. By the way, the son of that 9-11 victim who we actually had on the air last week said, yeah, it really doesn't cut it. You know, her explanation about 9-11. All right, to our busy phones we go as we say hi to Dwayne in Ohio. Dwayne, hi. How are you? Glad you called, sir. What's going on? Well, after uh, your montage yesterday, I felt like I had to call. And I think it's about time that we put some of these crazy lefts in jail for treason for the things they say, like wanting to blow up the White House. That's a treasonous statement. Wanting to hit the president or kill the president. That's a treasonous statement. They need to go to jail. It's a terroristic threat. If I went on the air and threatened somebody with bodily harm, that's that is by definition, the legal definition of terroristic threat. You're not allowed to threaten people like that. I mean, how many police on any given night or day around this country, if they end up in any type of situation and somebody's making threats, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this. Well, then they get restraining orders and people are told to stay away or you're going to jail. And that's the way it should be. Uh, anyway, Moses, New Jersey. Moses went to the mountaintop. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing outstanding, Sean. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Yeah, so basically what I want to speak about, Sean, is the fact that the one takeaway I have when it comes to what's happening in the political scene is that Republicans are horrible storytellers. And that's just what it is. And the one thing I notice is that people respond to people. People don't respond to politicians. And I think it'll be a great opportunity for the president to be able to have the people that are around him, like the field leadership of Border Patrol, the field leadership of ICE, pick your poison, the people that are working in HHS, the ones that are working at these detention facilities for the families. If the president can empower them to use his platform and basically brief the American people the way he gets briefed and put the, put the Democrats in a position in which they will not be able Able to defend their positions because they can't. All they do is avoid debate and they need to be challenged, not just them, but the media as well. Listen, I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying here. Look, we, we've got to understand here that one of the reasons I think the president goes around the country and holds these rallies, very simple, is that he knows he is capable more than anyone else of communicating his message. Now, I know he has a new press secretary, but, you know, these daily briefings, which really reduce themselves to, you know, the Jim Acostas of the world, making it all about them, not about their viewers and trying to get their gotcha moment with the press secretary so they could air it that night on TV and all look all real tough for their resistance audience and the snowflake audience. I kind of think that there's a reason the president speaks for himself mostly now, because he's nobody can do it better than him. And that's what these rallies are about. He's communicating his message. You know, there's an old adage in radio. You tell people what you're going to do, then you got to do it and then tell them, yeah, we did it. And it's the same with politics. Yeah, he said he'd cut taxes. He did it. He said he'd deregulate. He did it. He said, I'm going to choose justices that are originalist, constitutionalists from this list. 
He's done it. He's doing it. I'm going to get the border wall built one way or another. Well, now he's been able to fight like hell and that job's getting done, too. And he's even winning the battle of the hearts and minds of the American people. He said he wants new trade deals. Canada and Mexico and Japan. He got those and our Western European allies. He wants NATO to pay more. He did that, too. And now he's fighting China, which was another big promise. He's in that battle as we speak. He also said he didn't want to get involved in foreign entanglements, but he did beat down the the caliphate in ISIS, but he didn't put more boots on the ground. He just bombed the living hell out of them and pushed them back and out of Syria. And I would expect that whatever strategy emerges as it relates to Iran is not going to be boots on the ground. It's going to be what I hope is the beginnings of the next generation of American weaponry. So we never have to send boots on the grounds. And that means we'll fight these wars in a air conditioned office somewhere in Tampa, Florida. That's my hope. So we don't lose our national treasure. Ask them to go fight a war and then say, oh, never mind and politicize it. Never mind. What? What do you mean? Never mind. Tom D.C. Next Sean Hannity show. Sean, good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, sir. As someone who travels quite a bit and engages in conversation with others, I just want to let you know there's a, a group consensus that you are beyond a shadow of a doubt. One great, great American. Thank you for what you bring to the table every well, day. Well, thank you what you do every day. Every All the I, uh, Americans I know I get up hard and work hard every day. <laughs> well, I only do about 60, 70 hours a week, so I guess I'm one of the slackers. Yep, you're uh, right up there with everybody I know, I'll tell you that. Well, I have a comment and a suggestion. Uh, okay. The comment is based on uh, something from earlier in the program and these uh, these wimpy snowflakes who decide to bring their crisis uh, du jour to the forefront, say it compares to World War II. As someone whose father fought both in the Atlantic and the Pacific in the Navy during World War II, that is offensive and very disrespectful. They have no idea what total war is like. Well, I got to tell you something. They don't. I agree with you. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that's why you have to win the political wars. If you want the policies, they're going to help people economically. If you want to be energy independent, if you don't want the courts stacked, if you don't want to bribe dictators around the globe and say, please be nice. If we'll be nice, if you be nice and here's some money to make you nice. Uh, you know, it's it's all a matter in the philosophy and the ideology, just like I would be far less uncomfortable with. Trump meeting with the mullahs, which I don't think he should do, than I would Obama. Because I know his philosophy is I'm not giving you crap. Now, you're going to either walk out of here and do what I say, or I'm going to bomb the crap out of you. Meeting over. I mean, it's a very how you think, what drives you, your thinking, your thought process, your ideology, your principles, you know, your gut instincts, your heart. It all matters in, in whatever decision is being made. But I'll tell you this, this is an all hands on deck moment for the world. And if, the, if so goes America, so goes the rest of the world. And that's why one year from now, when we're getting close to Election Day, it's going to matter. It matters a lot. This is freedom. This is our way of life versus what will be the single dumbest decision America ever made. Embracing socialism and statism and redistributionism and radical ideas like the new green deal all right hannity tonight we're loaded up lindsey graham devin nunes sarah geraldo bongino fitton reince Priebus, 
Pete Hegseth in Israel, Alan Dershowitz, and Corey Lewandowski's testimony. We've got it covered. 9 Eastern tonight on Fox News. You won't get from the mob. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tonight. Back here tomorrow.